Welcome to the White Spring Bunker. These halls were built to safeguard some of the most prestigious members of the United States government. We are MODIS, and we are always looking for men and women capable of helping us restore what has been lost. In return, we offer this, a new enclave and our refuge from the world above. Please, take your time and look around. The Colonel has made great strides restoring this place to its former glory. Welcome, member, to our little enclave. Greetings, members. As always, I am the Operative, your designated tour guide and host here at the White Spring. Lilith is alive, and that is very bad news for the Blood Eagles. Underneath Watoga, the once-proclaimed city of the future, the final battle of the Blood Eagle War will be fought. But just as one conflict ends, new threats emerge, and deep in the mire, Major Stein discovers another relic from the past. Colonel Valeria was sitting behind her desk, trying to get caught up on the weekly reports. She was distracted, however, thinking about Lilith and the rest of her team. There hadn't been any sightings or check-ins for nearly two weeks. Intercepted Blood Eagle radio transmissions were still crowing about killing the demoness of Appalachia, as they had taken to calling Lilith. And worse, Stein hadn't found anything in his search of the mire, either. Is it possible they killed her? Valeria finally dropped her pencil on the desk and rubbed her eyes. In the nearly two years she'd been in the bunker, and over a year and a half of being in charge, Valeria had sent men and women across Appalachia, and even fought by their side more times than she could count. And like in any war, there were losses, and Valeria felt each and every one. But she never expected that Lilith could be one of them. She was... special. Not just because of her particular enhancements, but Lilith was also her friend. Perhaps her only friend. Despite their disagreements and Lilith's oddities, they were also as close to family as either of them still had. But Valeria wasn't about to write her off yet. Not at least, until they had a body. As she tried to get back to work, there was a sharp knock on her office door. Come! The door slid open and an orderly stepped in and saluted. What is it, Private? This better be important. Ma'am, Captain Reynolds sent me to get you. He wants you to come down to the staging area immediately. Something about Major Lilith. That certainly got Valeria's attention. She grabbed her tunic and was putting it on as she followed the orderly through the bunker hallways, down past the production floor to their staging platform, where the teams entered and exited the bunker. As they arrived, the colonel could see Captain Reynolds standing in front of two medical protectrons and Dr. Harefield. There was certainly some commotion going on, and as Valeria walked up, she caught Reynolds' attention. He stiffened and jogged over to her. Colonel, I'm sorry to drag you down here, but I thought you should know. Know what, Captain? Ma'am, the duty officer responded to a perimeter alarm out of the service entrance. When he got to the location, he found these two. Protect. Reynolds led the colonel over to where the doctor was working on two men on the floor, each looking to have suffered severe injuries. Wait, is that... Yes, ma'am. It's Private Sullivan. He's badly injured, but the doctor believes he'll pull through. The other one, we just don't know. But similar injuries. This must be bitter. What, ma'am? Nothing, Captain. As soon as they are stabilized, get them down to the secure infirmary. I don't want anyone in there with them but the Protectrons and the Doctor. Understood? Yes, ma'am. Reynolds saluted and spoke quickly to the Doctor. 
How the hell did they get here? They look like they've been through a meat grinder. Valeria would have more than a few questions when Sullivan was conscious again. She watched as the two men were placed on stretchers and carried away by the Protectrons. Lilith, where are you? Blood Eagle Scout climbed his way through the rugged terrain of the Savage Divide. He and a few others had been split off from the war parties to cover more area and make sure their target didn't escape. Beckett had a big enough price on his head that most of the scouts would have walked into a fisher site if they had been told to. Unfortunately, the Savage Divide was also a tricky place to search. It was filled with mountains, deep valleys, and more than a few of the worst monsters in the region. You never knew when you'd stumble across a rad scorpion nest or yagwai den, or even worse, find a death claw, or it finds you. Unlike most Blood Eagles, this one wasn't hopped up on chems. He and his brother had screwed up big time at the crater, and Meg threw them out. Then Roxy had sent the hunters after them. They didn't have a choice but to join the Blood Eagles for their own protection. Unfortunately, his brother had gone missing in the mire weeks ago, so he was on his own. The scout still had his old combat boots and leather coat, taken from a caravaner a year or so back in Pennsylvania. He'd taken to wearing an old newsboy cap, which helped keep the sun out of his eyes, and at least a little even if it had a few extra holes in it. He had been climbing rocks for days, in and out of the valleys looking for any sign of his quarry. He had a hunch that Beckett would use the old raider smuggling trails in the divide to get north out of Appalachia. A couple of times, he thought he found a fresh trail. The first nabbed him a raider thief from Crater. An excellent shot, he'd helped himself to some extra food, ammo, and some kind of power pack, which he stuffed in his coat for later. The second nearly cost him a literal arm and leg. He followed a promising trail down into a small valley only to drop into a fuckload of scorched. They'd come running at him, hissing and screeching, but he managed to kill a few and outrun the others. The things kept popping up in the damnedest places, and he'd have to be a lot more careful checking the trails. His arms ached from the climbs and blood from the briars that infested the region. Reaching a small outcrop, the scout set down his rifle and pack and leaned against a small boulder. His canteen was nearly empty. He'd need to find a spring soon or just gut it out with whatever murky water he could find. Taking one last look around and seeing nothing, he sat down with his back to the rock to catch a little shut-eye. He'd head north again and see what he could find. Something told him he was close, that maybe over just the next ridge or valley he'd pick up the trail. He didn't mean to fall asleep, but between the noonday sun and his own exhaustion, his eyes felt heavy and his muscles ached. As he started to awaken again, he felt something was wrong, that he wasn't alone. The scout reached for his rifle, but it was gone. Shit. He squinted his eyes and looked up. On a rock, opposite him, sat a man in greaser jeans, jacket, and a pair of aviator sunglasses, cradling his rifle. I gotta give you credit. You're one hell of a scout, and you're much better than a typical eagle lowlife. I mean, I tried to lead you to that thief and into the scorched. But man, you got lucky both times. Ah, hell. Should have known. The scout had been on the right track all along. Damn it, this had to be Beckett and now he had the drop on him. Beckett wasn't pointing his rifle directly at him, but he wasn't pointing it away from him either. All the scout had on him was a knife on his hip. He always traveled light, unlike some who walked around like a living, breathing arsenal. Well, it was a matter of time before somebody stumbled on me, or got the scent. No offense or anything, but falling asleep was a pretty amateur move, though. The scout just shrugged his shoulders. At this point, if he was dead, he was dead. 
Not a whole lot he could do about it. Beckett jumped down from the rock he'd been sitting on and motioned for the scout to stand up. You don't say much, do you? Hmm. Well, I can't take you with me, and I'm not gonna kill you. I need to keep moving. Besides, I don't need any more blood on my hands. The scout looked surprised. So, uh, get moving. And I'd appreciate it if you would at least give me a head start. Or maybe just forget you found me at all. Conflicted, the scout just looked at Beckett for a minute. Then he grunted again, shrugged his shoulders. He was turning to leave when a shadow fell over the rock, and he thought he heard Beckett start to say something else. Then he thought nothing at all. His head was cleaved from his body and landed with a sickening thud on the ground, blood pooling around it. Beckett had seen something was just about to yell a warning, but it was too late. He was just bringing his rifle up when the figure turned to face him. Oh, fuck! What? You aren't happy to see me, Beckett? It was Freya, in the flesh. The Blood Eagles had said she was dead, that they buried her and the others at Hawk's Refuge. But here she was, alive and well. Freya? Oh, no, 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 Beckett boy. Freya was so last week. Just call me... Lilith. That hideously insane smile and bubbly voice was frightening. Even if she hadn't been covered in blood and wielding an old fireman's axe, she decapitated the scout with a single one-handed strike. Beckett had never seen anything like it before, and it terrified her. Her overcoat and wide-brim hat were both in tatters, and her eyes were wide, but the pupils were the deepest shades of black, boring into him. I can't believe you were just going to let him go. You gone stupid or what? He was going to go straight to that war party, not a mile or so from here. And then you'd be dead. And I'd be so disappointed. Beckett wanted to throw up. This Freya or Lilith. And if she really was Lilith, he was so screwed. Pulled out a long serrated knife and was carving out pieces of the dead scout's flesh. As it is, I had to stop and make a detour to drop off Bitter and Sullivan. They aren't made of the same stuff as me. But my friends will fix them right up, I'm sure. Oh, and old Malgus. He's missed you so much, Beckett. Lilith sliced off a finger and shoved it into her mouth, crushing the bones with her teeth. Beckett had backed up against the rocks without even knowing. His head felt like it was spinning. Truth be told, it was Malgus's power armor that kept the whole roof from caving in on us. Those fucking blood eagles thought they'd bury me. The nerve. You know, there in the dark, for just a second, I thought we were done for. Then it occurred to me that no self-respecting raider would have hidden out in a cave without a back entrance. It took quite a bit of doing, and, well, the others weren't much help with all the bleeding and, well, being unconscious. But I found it. We got out of there, and those stupid blood eagles were none the wiser. Lilla stuffed the remaining fingers and flesh into her pack and reached down, picking up the dead scout's hat to replace her torn one. And now, we have real work to do. What? What? I mean, what are you gonna do? Lilla smiled and hefted the bloody axe over her shoulder. We're going to Watoga. We have a date with the Claw.
Once upon a time, 27 years after the bombs fell, there were two people, a vault dweller and a California girl. They met and sparks flew. That's when things got interesting. Once Upon a Wasteland is their story. Follow Elizabeth Kirby and Odessa Valdez as they pursue their happily ever after in the post-apocalyptic Appalachian wasteland of Fallout 76. Available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and many other podcasting platforms. Once Upon a Wasteland, a Fallout 76 love story. Available now. Bitter felt like he was swimming in blackness. Somewhere at the edge of his perception, he thought he could see a sliver of light. There may have been voices too, but they were so far away. He couldn't tell how long this went on, but it felt like forever. There were occasional flashes of memory, of faces, names, and places, but it was all just a jumble. And blood. Lots and lots of blood. But he felt detached, floating from image to image. Slowly, he felt himself moving closer to the light, the voices grew louder, more distinct. Awareness of his body returned, but it felt like he was stuffed with cotton. Bitter finally opened his eyes after Herculean struggle, seeing blurred images and bright light. It was enough to exhaust him again. He fell back into a deep sleep. Sometime later, Bitter opened his eyes again. Everything looked fuzzy. He even smelled fuzzy. But he could see he was in some kind of hospital room. He lay on a bed, hooked to all kinds of different beeping machines. There was a chair next to his bed, currently empty, and a small table in the corner. He had no idea how he got to, well, wherever it was that he was at. The last thing he remembered was the cave up in the mire, then an explosion. After that, nothing. There was a hiss as a large sliding metal door opened, and a young woman in a nurse's uniform entered. She was carrying a clipboard and looked startled when she saw that Bitter was awake. Bitter tried to speak, but his mouth was dry and he couldn't make the words come out. The nurse put down her board and walked over to the bed. Don't try to talk. You've been out for quite some time. I'll get you some water, and there is someone who wants to see you. The nurse put another pillow under Bitter's head, checked his vitals, and then left the room. A few minutes later, the nurse came back with a cup of water. She helped Bitter drink. The cold water felt good, and he nodded in thanks. Now, just rest. Since you're awake, we're going to start decreasing the painkillers we've been giving you. But first... The nurse walked back and flipped the switch on the door. Bitter, you bastard! Still laying in bed. Welcome to the land of the living. In wheeled Sullivan, both of his legs in plaster casts and bandages around his arm and head. Bitter tried to crack a smile, but it was really hard. You're the worst patient, Private. Please do not rile him up, or I'll tell the Colonel. You've got ten minutes, then you're back to your room. Yes, ma'am. The nurse shook her head and left the room. Sullivan watched her go, then wheeled up to the side of Bitter's bed. Damn, Bitter, you look even worse than me, and that's saying something. <coughs> what? 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 What happened? Not entirely sure, Bucko, but I think a mountain fell on top of us. How we're still alive? If I had to guess, our boss. 
hell. You deserve to know. Major Lilith is too damn stubborn and tough to die. She must have found a way out and dragged our sorry asses all the way back here. Lilith! Oh my, it's a long, long story. Things definitely didn't work out the way it was planned. But don't worry, these folks will fix you up. At least the nurses are nice to look at, right? But seriously though, now that you're awake, there will be folks who will want to talk to you. I've been through the ringer for the last couple of days. Seems they've lost track of the boss, Lilith, and have been trying to figure out where she went. Bitter just shrugged. There wasn't much that he could remember, and certainly nothing after the explosion. Yeah, you probably know about as much as me. Maybe even less. It's just a formality. But just play it cool. Lots of benefits to being a company man. I'll show you around when you get mobile. You won't believe this place. Time's up, Private. Okay, okay. We were just finishing up anyway. Hey, hey, I can wheel myself. Colonel's orders, Private. She doesn't want you exerting yourself any more than is necessary. Sullivan crossed his arms and scowled as he was rolled out and down the hall. Okay, Mr. Bitter. Your vitals are improving steadily. You're not completely out of the woods yet. You were in a coma for more than a week, so the doctor will be conducting a lot more tests over the coming days. Right now, though, you need your rest. I'm going to give you a sedative now. The colonel wants to talk to you, but we've told her it'll have to wait until tomorrow. The nurse took out a syringe and injected it into the IV line. Bitter didn't have the strength to argue. He was tired and everything ached. He'd deal with whatever happened tomorrow, well, tomorrow. Until then, he was just happy to be alive. If Beckett hadn't already regretted his life choices, traveling with his current companions would have certainly done so. Lilith. And yes, this was the Lilith he'd heard horror stories about since the day he arrived back in Appalachia. She had lived up to her reputation. Any thought of running or even just shooting her while her back was turned was put to bed when they made their way down the hill to a makeshift camp. In the middle of that camp, there was a dissected blood eagle tied to a pole. The raider's internal organs lay in a pile at his feet. Well, those that weren't currently roasting over a small campfire. The smell of burnt flesh and blood was nearly overpowering, causing Beckett to nearly vomit. But Lilith merely skipped over to the campfire and sampled some of the roasting flesh. Ah, oh, almost perfect. As Beckett sat down against a rock and tried to swallow the bile rising in his throat, he noticed Malgus sitting in the far corner of the camp, working on his power armor. The frame looked broken, with armor plates gouged and in some places even crushed. He'd never seen the man outside of his frame, which is when he noticed that Malgus's legs appeared to be disabled in some way, maybe even paralyzed. But that didn't change the fact that the man still terrified him. He'd seen more than his fair share of fanatics, but Malgus was something else entirely, and entirely devoted to Lilith, which made it even worse. What's the matter, Beckett? You look a little green. Was it something I ate? Lilith looked up and laughed, chewing on another piece of roasted flesh. Beckett finally retched on the ground, throwing up whatever he had left in his stomach. When he finally got control of his guts again, Lilith walked over and handed him a bottle of water. Then she explained her plan. Beckett had known about the Blood Eagles in the Watoka Underground, 
but he considered it to be too heavily fortified for an attack, hence why I never mentioned it. However, Lilith had managed, with some persuading of their Blood Eagle prisoner, to get the layout of the defenses and the key on how to get in there unnoticed through a side entrance. There had still been a number of Blood Eagles to fight, though, but the Claw had sent the majority of his men out to hunt down Beckett, not expecting that he was about to be delivered on a silver platter. You do know you're insane, right? You want to get out from under all this or what? I mean, wherever you go, they'll find you. At least this way. It's over, right? It's been fun and all, but I still got a headache from that damn cave. And I really want to give that claw a piece of my mind. Or blade. Or bullet. Or whatever. So you, me, against what? 30, 40, maybe 50 blood eagles? By ourselves. <laughs> no, silly. People might think I'm crazy, but I'm not stupid. I sent a message ahead to some friends. They'll be waiting for us once we're in the city. Between us and them, we can handle whatever might be under there. Beckett wasn't all that encouraged, and he still felt sick. Everything he had planned, everything he had done, and he'd still ended up in hell. Just a different part. That night, Lilla spent a lot of time talking to Malgus. The man was still piecing his armor back together, and he merely nodded to whatever Lilith was saying to him. Beckett stayed to himself, upwind from the fire when possible. He watched Lilith take out and clean her implements of destruction. Whatever she might have been, she was all business when it came to her weapons. Besides the extremely nasty-looking blades, she also had a light machine gun. He'd seen a few of them before, but they kicked like a rabid radstag, so hardly anyone used them. She was meticulous with each weapon, making sure the edges on the blades were sharp, and taking apart the LMG, polishing each piece, and reassembling them at what was probably record time. She also had given him his own combat rifle, though no ammunition to go with it. It was a smart move, but Beckett had no intention of betraying them. He'd made his deal with the devil, and he was nothing if not a man of his word. Getting into Watoga had been easier than Beckett expected. Lilith had said something about hacking the system so that they were all marked as friendly to the robots. That just about blew Beckett's mind, because he'd seen whole raider gangs vaporized by the Assaultrons roaming the streets. And here they were, just strolling downtown like they were out window shopping. Malgus still had that perpetual scowl on his face. He'd been up all night pounding his armor back together. It still looked like crap, but he was able to climb into it and get moving again. Lilith had promised him a whole new set of armor when this was all over, and it was the closest to a smile he had ever seen the armored man get. Up ahead, they saw a downed vertebrate in front of an old AMS mining headquarters building. It was surrounded by barricades, wrecked bots, and abandoned suits of power armor. Beckett had heard stories about what went down in Appalachia after the war, but he'd rarely seen the sight of those battles from years before. Lilith held up her hand, and they all stopped. She looked around for a minute, then whistled loudly. Beckett was surprised when he saw a squad of soldiers appear from the nearby buildings. They were all wearing nearly identical camouflage armor and masks, carrying a combination of plasma and combat rifles. The leader, a woman by the looks of it, walked up from behind the vertebrate up to Lilith. She shouldered her weapon, and then took off her mask and saluted. Cindy, so glad you could make it. Cindy smiled. It had been a while since she'd last seen Lilith. 
The colonel had her on assignment at Foundation, keeping watch on the goings-on there. She'd also cut off her pigtails and sported a straight military cut. Well, the colonel insisted. You know, try and give us a little more warning next time. That transmission you sent barely gave me enough time to hike all the way down here. At least the team was already in the area. They were keeping an eye on the remaining fissure sites. Follow me. Cindy motioned them to follow her. They all settled into the lobby of the AMS headquarters. Team Epsilon had been using it as a staging area for their operations, so there were bedrolls spread out and ammunition crates piled in one corner. Major, the colonel sent along a message. Cindy handed over a slip of paper and Lilith unfolded it. No loose ends. Lilith refolded the paper and slipped it into her pack, glancing over at Beckett. Everyone quickly introduced themselves, though Malgus just grunted. Cindy explained that they'd had time to do a quick survey of the Blood Eagle encampment in the Watoga Underground. So far, they'd left the guards alone, as to not to raise any alarms. There were definitely multiple entrances, but they were all heavily guarded, with the exception of one back entrance. It required a key and was locked up tight, which is probably why they hadn't seen anyone. Lilith pulled out the key that she'd pried out of the Blood Eagle. Literally. With it, they'd be able to get in undetected. The general plan was to storm the place and eliminate all hostiles. Lilith was able to fill in some of the gaps around the other defenses, including turret locations and hacked bots that the Blood Eagles were using as their own. Cindy and Team Epsilon would be crowd control, taking care of the Blood Eagles on the upper levels, while Lilith, Malgus, and Beckett would descend down and deal with the Claw directly. They'd meet up in the main upper garage entrance after. If there were any other problems, the team detailed a quick set of communication signals, just in case. As they made their last preparations, Cindy was telling Lilith all about what was going on at Foundation. Day, Lilith bristled when she heard the name, had been working with Ward and Page to collect a variety of tools and talent needed for some big project, but Cindy hadn't been able to learn much about it. They even found Penny Hornwright, now a ghoul, who was working on something they called the Motherload, a huge digging machine. The colonel was having her keep a close eye on what was going on. Cindy, I dropped some friends off at the bunker. Did Val say if they were okay? It was unusual for Lilith to express concern about others, but she'd gotten used to having Sullivan and Bitterer around. Yeah, she said they were okay. Real beat up, but finally on the mend. The Colonel wants to talk to you about them as well. Lilith nodded. Val would have a lot of questions, she was sure. Lilith loved to be able to do things on her own, but, well, the plan kind of gone sideways. But as Val said, no loose ends. Beckett sat in the corner and had watched the proceedings. Whoever these people were, they were well-trained and well-prepared. He'd heard rumors about another faction in the region. People talked about soldiers being around, and even they were using the White Springs as their base of operations. But seeing these up close and personal, he suspected there was a whole lot more to that story. Magus was busy working on his leg servos. They'd suffer heavy damage from the strain of holding up several tons of rock that had threatened to crush them at Hawk's Refuge. The whole suit was probably on its last legs and would need a wholesale replacement. But in the here and now, he had to complete his crusade. His avatar and guide had promised him vengeance, and it was so close he could taste it. They all ate a quick meal and then headed towards the entrance. It was nondescript and easily missed if you didn't know what you were looking for. Cindy and Team Epsilon entered using the key that Lilith provided and took out a single guard without raising any alarms. Cindy gave the all-clear, and Lilith entered with Beckett and Malgus. Cindy was cleaning her combat knife, the same one Lilith had given her at the Sunnytop Ski Lodge. She'd come a long way since then, and there was no hesitation in getting her hands dirty now. We'll clear the floor. There's a stairwell at the far end. 
Head down, and when you hear the shooting start, the fun begins. Cindy rolled her eyes, but she knew that Lilith was right. The colonel's orders were crystal clear. She and her team were just there to provide backup. The real action would be below. The new Enclave team spread out and started clearing the upstairs. Most of the old rooms were empty or just full of old scrap. They only knew the very basics of the layout from some old plans that Modus uncovered in some underutilized civilian archives that used to be test servers, but were repurposed when the governor in Charleston had made the records digitized to save money. Unfortunately, whatever version of the plans they had were horribly outdated by whatever AMS decided to actually build. Cindy had already been through multiple rooms that weren't even on the plans, but they hadn't run into any blood eagles yet. That was both good and bad, because it meant that there might be more downstairs than anticipated. One of her operatives held up their hand. They all stopped moving. There were eagles up ahead. Cindy crept up, staying low. Status report. Ma'am, looks to be about ten of them. Some kind of chow line up ahead. Plenty of weapons, but they ain't real alert. Cindy considered her options. If it had only been a couple, they could have gone in quietly and taken them down. This almost necessitated a firefight. That was going to raise the alarm no matter what, and there were still plenty of upstairs to explore just to be sure. But Lilith and company needed a distraction, too. (sighs) Decisions, decisions. Before Cindy could settle on her next course of action, the Blood Eagles made the decision for them. It must have been time for a patrol, but the ten in the room were suddenly joined by several more, who all grabbed their weapons. I guess we're fighting. With hand signals, Cindy got her team ready and they all started lining up on their targets. She gave a sharp whistle and the whole team opened fire through the doorways and windows. The explosion of sound and fury blew out the old office windows and took the eagles completely by surprise. Most were cut down where they stood while the survivors ducked behind desks and returned fire. Downstairs, Lilith was checking her LMG when they heard the firing from above. She slapped the receiver and smiled. Showtime! Malga smashed the lower door open, blowing it completely off its hinges and into the parking garage. The whole floor was part of a giant automated garage system built for Watoga before the war. Citizens could leave their car at any of the entrances, and the bots would collect it, store it in any number of garages, and be returned to wherever they needed it. Of course, like any complex system, it had been known for how many cars that it got lost instead of the convenience it provided. Now it was home to the Blood Eagles, and they turned every nook and cranny into a defensive position, covered by turrets and repurposed bots. It was only a minute or two before they ran into the opposition. Lilith was giggling like a schoolgirl, letting her LMG rip, blowing off arms, legs, slicing through stored cars. Malgus was firing his Gatling plasma into a set of late-arriving Protectrons, while Beckett used his rifle to pick off stragglers. The sound in the confined space was nearly deafening. The trio fought their way through garages, into maintenance sections, and across makeshift scaffolding as the Blood Eagles threw themselves at them. Malgus's armor was slowly taking a beating, and many of the jury rig repairs were slowly giving way. It was almost as if he just kept advancing through the force of his own will. They had been lucky so far, but Lola took a bullet to the shoulder that hit a seam between the armor plates. In rage, she'd fired an entire magazine in the direction of the perpetrator, shredding a car and turning the Blood Eagle into a fine red mist. Beckett was getting nervous. There were a lot of eagles down here, and it was getting harder to push them back as they organized. They could see a large group in the next garage, and they were blocking the entrance to the final set of rooms they needed to get to. Lilith fired off another magazine and reached into her satchel. It was time for some party favors, the real special kind. She pulled out three fusion cores, each one strapped to a plasma grenade. Beckett saw what she had, and his face went white. Odds were she'd take half the underground with them with that much firepower. What? You want to live forever or something? 
Pulling all three pins, she threw them as far as she could into the garage before diving behind a concrete barricade. Both Beckett and Malgus followed suit. The explosion rocked the very foundations of the underground. Multiple cars started exploding, adding to the carnage. Flames licked around the edges of the barricade, while debris, including nearly car-sized chunks of metal, bounced off the ceiling and walls. It took several minutes for the explosions to die down, and longer for their hearing to recover. The interior was a complete mess. Looking beyond the concrete barricade, the parking structure was on fire, with wrecked cars and loading mechanisms intermingled on the floor. Interspaced were the mangled bodies of the Blood Eagles, over, under, and part of the debris. Woohoo! Beckett picked himself up off the floor and tried to get the concrete dust off. Are you fucking crazy? You could have killed all of us with that little stunt. Such a spoil sport. We're still alive and all those stupid eagles are dead. Serves them right for trying to bury me. The nerve. Lilith dusted off her coat and grabbed her hat where it had been blown from her head by the force of the explosions. Lilith smoothed back her hair and put the hat back on. Malgus was a little slower to get back up. He never wore his power armor helmet, and he'd been hit by a piece of metal which tore a bloody line across his scalp. If anything, the blood made him even more frightening, and he pushed Beckett away when he tried to help him up. Malgus? Still with us, big guy? Aye. The pain helps clear the vision. I can feel that we're close to the end of the crusade. Let us finish this. Malgus stood up a little straighter and reached down for his gatling plasma, and found that it had been destroyed. Malgus dropped the broken weapon and pulled out his nail-studded board. The fight now would be up close and personal, just what Malgus had been waiting for. Lilith reloaded her LMG, and the three of them picked their way through the rubble towards the service corridor that would take them to the main underground galleria. Scanners detecting sentient life. Alert level elevated. Fuck. Lilith brought the LMG up to her shoulder, and they all moved forward carefully, scanning the corridor ahead. It was Malgus that spotted it first. It was one of those damn dominators with its own stealth boy field. Its head laser was already spinning up, illuminating the hallway. Engaging hostile. Malgus shoved Lilith to the side just as the laser fired, catching him square in the chest. The energy splash and heat singed his face again, and the directed energy blast overloaded the systems of his power armor frying the jury rig circuitry. The frame nearly fell on top of Beckett, who narrowly dodged it as Malgus toppled over, his armor smoking from the hit. Lilith barely kept her balance and brought her LMG to bear, squeezing the trigger and firing at the legs first, ripping through the armor before walking the 308 rounds across the torso, and finally smashing the head to pieces. The hallway smelled of burnt wiring and melted plastic. Malgus lay on his side, frozen inside his ruined power armor. He was grimacing in pain, with burns over his burns, it was obvious that his suit was never going to operate again, and they'd have to use the emergency release just to get him out of there. Hey, big guy. I don't have time to get you out of there. And you can't walk. And, well, fight either. Just stay here, stay quiet, and I'll be back for you. The crusade requires sacrifice. The Allfathers will be done. You're just going to leave him here? He will be fine. There isn't anyone behind us. And as I told him, I will be back. The look in Lilith's eyes was enough to get Beckett to shut his mouth. She rose to her feet and reloaded her LMG. Let's go. We should be close. Lilith and Beckett worked their way to the end of the hall, which led them back to the main underground galleria. She peeked around the corner and saw a handful of blood eagles manning the defenses and a few bots at the ready. This is it. 
Looks like three or so on the left and about four on the right. I'll toss a few surprises, and then we eat them alive. Figuratively, I mean. It sent a cold chill down Beckett's spine, because in all likelihood she was deadly serious. There was nothing figurative about this psychopath. Lilith pulled out the last of her homemade explosives and tossed them underhand towards the waiting blood eagles. The return fire splattered the wall, but with the resulting explosions, both Lilith and Beckett darted into the room behind the blast, smoke and dust firing as they went. Despite putting up a spirited resistance, the blood eagles were all quickly dispatched. The remaining bots were easy to finish off, being just protectrons. Beckett destroyed the last one with his assault rifle, firing over Lilith's shoulder. She swept the room with her LMG at the fore, nearly stumbling over a pair of booby-trapped scales, but just kicking them aside. They were never really a problem, and she knew enough that you couldn't just pack enough explosives in them to be a bother. Beckett winced when he saw the traps bounce to the side, cracking open, spilling out rusted wires and parts. See? Just a bunch of amateurs. There was a light at the end of the room, coming from underneath a metal set of double doors. It certainly looked promising. She motioned Beckett over and pointed him to the door. He nodded. He heard the clod set up his own little throne room down here, and that was probably it. A loudspeaker suddenly crackled to life. Beckett, you came an awful long way just to die. No, it couldn't be. That voice. You brought the bitch with you? Not too often I get to kill someone twice. Frankie! Frankie, is that you? The voice sounded exactly like his baby brother, but that was impossible. Frankie's gone. There is only the claw. And as soon as we take care of your pass upstairs, the rest of the blood eagles will come down here and kill you properly this time. Beckett was trembling. No way that this was his brother, but it sounded just like him. Oh, I love family reunions. Too much fun. But I want a proper introduction this time. Lilith skipped over to the double doors. They were shuttered tight, probably barred on the other side. She looked back at Beckett and rubbed her hands together. The claw will kill you both. Lilith grabbed the two door handles and started to pull. At first, the doors wouldn't budge, but she flexed and pulled harder. Beckett watched in amazement as she could hear the door hinges groan and the doors start to buckle. Lilith gritted her teeth as she yanked over and over, the doors starting to pull away from the wall until with a final bit of effort, one of the doors failed completely and came apart in her hand. Stepping back, the door fell beside her and crashed on the floor. Holy shit. Lilith did a bow and curtsy, motioning for Beckett to enter. It was the Claw's throne room, and sure as shit, there was Frankie Beckett standing on the dais with pure hatred in his eyes as Beckett entered the room with Lilith close behind. Beckett had been taken completely by surprise. He had no idea that his brother had followed in his footsteps and ended up as a blood eagle. Massive doses of chems had warped his mind and put him on the path which ended here. For Lilith, watching the interaction between the two of them was fascinating. Beckett tried to convince Frankie to give up, to come with him so that they could get him clean. Frankie railed against Beckett for leaving him alone and forcing him to choose the Blood Eagles. Fascinating, that is, until Lilith started to get bored again. The firing from upstairs had subsided. Cindy was probably finishing up, which meant Lilith needed to hurry things along. Frankie was balanced on a knife edge, part of him eager to, eager to kill his brother while the other part only wanted to go home. The claw was caught mid-sentence when a 10mm round ended the discussion and blew his brains across the back wall. Beckett didn't even have time to react to the violent death of his brother when he felt Lilith behind him. 
and the feel of a sharp, cold blade pressed against his neck. Boring. Gosh, Beckett, I bring you all this way, and you just talk and talk and talk. But I was reaching him. You killed my brother. Ah, I never signed up for this. Blah, blah, blah. But orders are orders. No loose ends. But don't worry, though. You'll see your brother soon enough. Lilith slashed Beckett's neck in one long, deep slice. The arterial spray joined Frankie's brains on the back wall, and blood poured from the wound onto the floor. Beckett gasped for air as blood filled his throat. He was dead within a few seconds, and Lilith let his body slide to the floor next to his brother's. Lilith licked the knife before sliding it back into its sheath. The taste was sweet, and it was a shame she couldn't prepare a feast of her own, but Val's orders were clear. They were going to lock the doors behind them, and the entire Watoga underground would be a tomb for the Beckett brothers. Lilith walked back to where Malgus lay with his damaged power armor. Lilith smiled down at him before activating the emergency release. She enjoyed having her own little avenging angel. Pulling it from his armor, she slung him on her back. He winced with pain, but endured it after Lilith told him of the Claw's death. At least this part of his holy crusade was complete. What the future would hold for him? Well, only the old gods knew for sure. Lilith took Malgus and they ascended the stairs to the upper levels. They could hear the single shots of assault and combat rifles. When she got to the top, she let out a sharp whistle, which was answered by one from Cindy. They finally got back to ground level, where scattered bodies of dead bloodicals lay on the floor. Sandy and her team were going from body to body to make sure they were all dead, putting a bullet in the heads of any that showed any sign of life. Cindy saw Lilith and gave her a short salute. No loose ends, right? No loose ends. Probably not the end, though. There's always someone else who wants to be the king. Ugh, we kicked them in the teeth. It'll be a while before they become any real threat again. Anyway, no more disguises. No more acting. Cindy's team hadn't suffered any losses, but a couple had sustained minor injuries. They'd all head back up the rail line to the Big Bend Tunnel and the Blue Ridge Caravan. Once there, they'd rest up and heal before heading back to the bunker. Cindy could only nod as they all left the Watoga Underground, barring the doors behind them. And thus ended the saga of the Becketts, and Appalachia would roll on without them. Hi, I'm Fire Rider, and I'm the host of The Pixel People, a podcast dedicated to taking a close look at our favorite characters from our favorite video games. From major characters who define the course of a game's storyline, to smaller characters who you might have never noticed. 
every week we go beyond the quest line to examine a particular character's story arc and choices and discover the real-world parallels and life lessons hidden just below the surface. I hope you'll join us. You can find the Pixel People on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else you listen to podcasts. And Lilith returned a few days later, having made a detour to pick up some power armor parts for her other guest. Not quite sure what to make of him yet, but Lilith wants to keep him. Colonel Valeria closed her notebook and sat back in her chair, having finished her final briefing on Operation Werewolf to Modus. Major Lilith is to be... commended, Colonel. However, we calculate a... 68.5% chance that the Blood Eagles will be able to... reconstitute their leadership structure. Raiders can be like rad roaches, Modus. Very hard to eradicate completely. At least for the moment, they will pose less of a threat to our operations. Agreed, Colonel. We will continue to monitor likely areas of activity and report any unusual findings. Thank you, Modus. I'm recommending that we keep Lilith's team together. Even this Malgus. We never know when we'll need their services. Your recommendations have been received, analyzed, and accepted. Appropriate notations will be made to the personnel records, and the files will be forwarded to the intake center. What's next on the agenda, Modus? Colonel, we have collected a substantial amount of data on some seismic disturbances in the ash heap. Our conclusions are incomplete. We require additional investigation. Fair enough. Include a reconnaissance mission in next week's operations assignments. Maybe nothing, but it's worth checking it out. Of course, Colonel. One final question. Why hasn't Stein returned to the bunker? You informed him that Lilith was fine, correct? Yes, Colonel. An oversight on our part. We discovered a signal in the mire, which required investigation. The Major was the closest asset. Fine. Did he find anything of interest? We are still analyzing the data. We will submit a full report soon. All right. Just make sure Stein gets back here. There's too much going on for him to be sightseeing. Of course, Colonel. On the outskirts of Watoga, adjacent to one of the old monorail stations, stood the Appalachian Robco Research Facility. Robco was the largest and most profitable corporation of the pre-war world, responsible for the ubiquitous bots that still operated around the region, and even the Pip-Boys that the Vaulters wore on their arms. There also wasn't a defense contract that didn't involve Robco technology in some fashion, including some of the most secret experiments conducted before the Great War. It was one particular project which now brings this old abandoned facility back into the spotlight. To be here. Engaging hostile. Engaging target. Combat zone is hot. Hostile target. Engaging hostile target. Engaging target. Engaging hostile target. 
damn, these Robco folks certainly didn't skimp on security. Did I tell you about the time we stumbled on this old Robco factory in Detroit? Only 50 times since we left Foundation, Radcliffe. Went through a lot of ammo, but I think that was the last of them. So, what are we looking for again, exactly? Well, we know the turrets in Vault 79 aren't your run-of-the-mill military specs. These were designed special, just for this installation. The armor was a prototype blend, nearly impenetrable. Lucky for us, the research team who invented the stuff was right here, in this very facility. It's one of the final pieces of the puzzle. So, let's find what we need and get out of here. This place gives me the creeps. Like I said, you should have seen this place in Detroit. They used to crank out sentry bots there, and some crazy kook had decided to set a bunch of them loose. We got out of there by the skin of our teeth. Make that 51 times. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Sorry, man. When you've been talking to the same folks for 25 years, it's nice to be able to tell these stories to someone new. Okay, let's see. Nope, that's just bot research over there. Directed energy weapons, nope. Here, let me check this terminal. No, that's just funny. You find it? Nah, but you ain't gonna believe this. One of these Robco folks programmed a Miss Nannybot to hate children. There were all kinds of complaints. Radcliffe! Hey, it's really funny. But okay. Aha! Here it is. We're on the wrong floor. We need to go through the Robo-Brain Wing. Upstairs and it'll be on our right. Great, let's go. Huh? This is... weird. What is it? Well, according to the internal map, this is supposed to be the Robo-Brain Wing. Yeah, and? Look around. You see any Robo-Brains around here? Or any equipment for that matter? Day hadn't been paying much attention, as he was focused on the mission to get the turret specs. But when he looked around the offices, he immediately noticed what Radcliffe was talking about. Now that you mention it, it looks like someone cleared this place out. Maybe it happened before the war? Give me a second. There's another terminal over here. Nothing in here about moving or closing up shop. Last entry is the day before the bombs dropped, even. I swear I didn't see anything else out of the ordinary. Why would someone just take this stuff? Hmm. Day rubbed the back of his head and felt the small knot that was still a reminder of his encounter at the Nuka-Cola plant. I could think of some people who might be interested in this tech. When we get out of here, I want you to tell me everything you know about these robo-brains. Sure thing. Hey, did I tell you the story of this robo-brain we met up in Ottawa? Radcliffe! <laughs> Sorry. Overseer, this is Day. Go ahead, Day. We got the turret specs, and better yet, Radcliffe found some old note that laid out a key flaw in the design. That's great news. It's not all good news, unfortunately. Someone got here before us. Raiders? I don't think so. And whoever it was, they weren't after the turrets. What was taken? It doesn't mean much to me, but Radcliffe said enough to get me concerned. He said all the robo-brain research was gone. 
I don't know, Overseer. But if it's the White Spring, and I think it is, that could spell trouble. I agree. Between this and the DNA research gone missing from Voltech University, I don't like it at all. I'll meet you at Foundation. We need to talk. Copy that. See you soon, Overseer. got to have a few loose screws sending me all the way up here. Stein had been walking north, along the edge of the Savage Divide in the mire for almost a week. He'd been relieved to hear that Lilith was fine, and had gone to Watoga to finish things with the Blood Eagles. Unfortunately, instead of being able to return to the bunker, Modus had instead ordered him to investigate a rogue signal emanating from one of the old emergency transmission bunkers in the area. He'd asked to speak to the Colonel to verify, but Modus informed him that the Colonel was unavailable. Stein's first thought was to refuse and just head back, but instead he found himself hiking north, avoiding mirelurks and anglers. A few times he could have sworn he was being followed, but he never found any evidence of it. Could that be... No, no, I'm just imagining things again. Finally, as Stein arrived at the location, it was an old concrete transmission bunker. At first it looked completely abandoned, but upon closer inspection of the front door, it was slightly ajar, and a small trail of blood led to the interior. All right. Something to this after all. Better safe than sorry, though. Stein unholstered his pistol and slowly opened the rusted metal door. He winced at the sound, but it couldn't be helped. Looking back over his shoulder and seeing nothing of interest, he made his way inside before closing the door behind him. The interior was a jumble of old communications equipment, workbenches and ever-present mold and small strangler vines which had made their way into the bunker from above and below. There was light filtering through the rusted frame of another door on the far side of the room. Stein crept over and put his ear to the door. He thought he could hear something, but it was far too indistinct to know what it was or who it might be. Nothing ventured, nothing gained. That's what Molly used to say. Stein opened the second door, a little bit less noisy this time, and walked slowly down the stairs. At the bottom, he could see a flickering light and the sound of an old terminal coming up from a side room. He could also hear someone or something moving around as well. He got up against the door and slowly peeked around the corner to catch a glimpse of someone in an unmetallic-looking suit hunched over the terminal, typing furiously on the keyboard. Um, excuse me? The individual grabbed a pistol from the side of the terminal and turned, pointing it directly at Stein. Whoa, whoa! Don't shoot! Then put away that pistol, and put your hands where I can see them. Fine! Putting my gun away! Just don't shoot! Stein slowly put his pistol back in its holster and raised his hands. He finally got a good look at the individual, a woman, who appeared to be wearing a spacesuit. All right. Who are you? Are you with the USSA? What's going on around here? Why can't I contact anyone? Where the heck am I? Okay, ma'am, that's a lot of questions. First off, it's Stein. Major Stein. Andrew Stein, if you'd like. Second... I'm with the new Enclave in Appalachia, and you are? Commander Daguerre, USSA. Now, Major Stein, I've never heard of this new Enclave. I have a lot of questions, but first, 
I need to get in touch with Mission Control and figure out just what the heck is happening. Hold on a second there. The USSA? The United States Space Agency? How could you not have heard of it? No, I've heard about it. It's got to have some bad news to come along with it. Bad news? What are you talking about? Before we get into that, I have to know. What year do you think this is? Year? It's 2077, of course. Did everyone go crazy while I was in space? 2077. Oh, boy. Well, Mr. Guri, I have bad news and worse news. Hold your horses. This is going to take some time to explain. Outside of the bunker, perched in a tree, Lieutenant Shadow watched the exterior of the bunker. He could hear angry shouting coming from inside, and he smiled. Opening up his Pip-Boy, he keyed the special security frequency. Modus, this is Shadow. Status? Operative? The asset has made contact with the target. We'll monitor the situation as ordered. Good. Operative. The asset has his... instructions. Access to the target will... accelerate... our plans. Shadow, over and out. Hello, this is Charlie Transmutation coming to you with another PSA announcement. No, Charlie, this is a commercial. What? Crap. Nobody told me that. What are you supposed to do in this thing anyway? Well, Charlie, I'm glad you asked. This is the part where we introduce our new homebrew 5e D&D podcast, The Fumbling Four and the Almighty Crit, where we explore the homebrew world of Alteris using homebrew rules and homebrew material from the Dungeon Master's Guild. Eh, sounds boring. I'm out of here. See you later, Charlie. We hope to have you guys come check us out soon. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you again, members, for joining us here on The Modus Files. If you've enjoyed this content, please subscribe. And better yet, please leave a review to help others find our little enclave. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Modus Files, for more information about our podcast, Fallout 76 content, and random musings on the enclave. I'd also like to thank our cast, Pandora Beatrix as Colonel Valeria Faustina, XO1 King as Major Andrew Stein, Lucy Middleton as Major Lilith Alistair, Rear Cheshire as Lieutenant Cindy Connors, Casual in a Corset as Corporal Samantha Johnson, Nikki Sticks as the new Enclave Nurse, Ray Middleton as the Blood Eagle Scout, Mark Harsworth as Bitter, Tim Young as Sullivan, Patrick Conway as Beckett, Napa as The Claw, Chris Smith from One Wall Comedy as Radcliffe, Ryan Negrin as Day, Daniel Hawthorne as Lieutenant Shadow, Jessica Starr as Commander Sophia Daguerre, introducing Wendy Novosensky as The Overseer, and Brad Williams as the voice of Modus and Captain Reynolds. And a shout-out to the Apocalyptic Aristocracy Discord, home to a great group of fellow creators, the Robots Radio podcast community and the rest of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, and Jeremiah Johnson, our favorite character artist, who provided the wonderful character artwork you can find on our website. Stay tuned for our next episode, Behind the Bunker, a roundtable discussion with our main cast of characters, followed by a new bedtime stories, Tales from Vault 76. Lastly, Thank you to all of our subscribers and supporters. 
God bless the Enclave, and God bless America. Members, we look forward to your next visit to our little Enclave. <laughs>